0: Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Myrtoka Tsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices Programme in Fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing, which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the unnecessary participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. In this conversation, I'll be speaking with Tristan Berat. Tristan is an artist and writer whose practice includes curating, critical writings, filmmaking, and performances. He studied fine arts, aesthetics, history of contemporary art, and political science. He is a participant of the School of Infinite Rehearsals Movement 3, which has a collective research focus on the notion of ecologies. Today, we will talk about the intersection of art, ecology, and technology, taking as a starting point his research interest and practice in experimental philosophy, intertextuality and cinematography. Tristan, welcome to Pally Room.
1: Hello, Myrto, and thank you very much for hosting. I can be more than happy to be in the palimpsest room for this conversation. Uh, you just mentioned my interest in intertextuality. I would say that in my case, intertextuality is even more a critical practice than an interest and even more an obsessive state of mind than a practice. I have the impression that somehow I'm part of an ecosystem of texts and films with which I'm in an ongoing conversation. Mm. It can be thought as a mental prison from which you can't escape if you have a modernistic or monadic approach of the creative process, but it can also be accepted as a matter of fact a matter of interconnectedness if you apprehend the creative process ecologically as a living organism, responding to other living organisms.
0: Well, thank you, Tristan, for being part of this conversation, and I'm looking forward to hear more. Uh, In your work, you employ different genres and formats that range from site-specific, immersive, intimate environments to participative events through political pamphlets, public readings, dinners, parties, an open-air festival, fanzines, critical and fictional writings. Through your writing practice, I can see a clear interest in language and, of course, its politics, but I also sense your interest in semiotics and in a meta-language, especially in the way that you treat images. So what is the thread that weaves all of these different forms together?
1: So throughout the years, since 2010, indeed I've been experiencing uh, various formats. If I look backwards onto these artistic experiments, I feel that first they were all very context-based. My practice has never been studio-based. They have always been encored into a specific cultural context that offered them a meaning of some sort. Uh, This context-based approach of my practice is probably one of its political aspects. To be rooted into a situation and grounded into a larger ecology. I also feel that there were attempts to give form to a certain reflection on knowledge itself. How does knowledge cross disciplines going from literature to cinema, from politics to the visual arts. How do concepts and ideas embody themselves into cultural fields and visual or textual representation? In fact, I'm truly interested in the specificity of these languages and how they can be translated from field to another. When books intervene within films, when political signs are displayed into fictional writings, when a script for a film scene is given in a novel, and finding the cinematic dimension of literature or the literary dimension of cinema is a way to bridge cultural phenomena. It's an apparently playful game, but it's also a way to display the multidimensional aspect of a text. Representations offered by literature and cinema have always been primarily my access to the comprehension of the world. And for example, but mainly the ecological crisis.
0: Hmm, I understand that uh, all um, that you're talking about all the entanglements that uh, characterize our, our life and the ecological crisis is an entangled phenomenon, it is a political, economic as much as a social crisis and looking through your previous work I stumbled upon one of your statements which I found rather intriguing where you mentioned that the ecologic crisis is also cinematographic as cinema coincides historically and in a critical and descriptive way with the development of the Anthropocene. Can you elaborate on that?
1: So. Uh, With this, you're referring to the synopsis of um, of a film conversation um, I co-made with uh, Brazilian filmmaker Ana Vaz, which is for me, if we're going uh, biographical, the first concrete outcome of a reflection about how the ecological crisis is narrated and represented, and at the same time, that is also directly addressing the issues inherent to this world transition. So this film, um, a film reclaimed, was commissioned in 2015 by the Experimental School of Art and Politics, uh, founded by uh, philosopher Bruno Latour in Sciences Po Paris, which Anna and I were both members of, in preparation for the Paris Climate Conference. So on the occasion of our degree, Bruno Latour proposed to organize a pre-enactment of the Conference of the Parties before it happened in Paris, to implement and stage some of these signatures ideas on a theatrical scale and to give a positive answer somehow to the crisis of representation and representativity which these uh, international conferences are confronted with. These kinds of conferences are always preceded, introduced or promoted beforehand by an opening film that stages the challenges to solve in a very naive and optimistic fashion. We, Anna and I, decided to make a film according to this genre, but a film that presents... Uh, alternative narratives and decolonized representations sustained by the world organizations. So, for example, the use of diplomatic languages, French and English, was a formal strategy to address the restrictions of the conference rules. In this light, uh, it's difficult not to think that this sort of international conference is already doomed to fail as the majority of the parties are submitted to, to the linguistic rules of the major polluters. However, in the film, as an infiltrating strategy, other languages emerge, parasite or disturb the diplomatic French-English storytelling, like uh, Brazilian, Thai and even other forms of communication such as the drums, the buzzing of bees, the cry of crows, the growl of a gorilla, and finally even cinema as a foreign language itself and a dystopian system of images, words, and representation. So this film is a highly artificial collage of images as concepts, texts as images, and also meta film as a critic of the medium in itself. So, Hollywood films are the ultimate uh, medium of the 20th century Anthropocene, propaganda promoting the socio-political and economic values of the capitalistic system. But the film suggests capitalism as an alien system, a system that is not natural, as it seems to make us believe a system that consistently ruptures and ravages our relationship to Earth. The use of found footage was the very foundation of the film from the beginning. We didn't want to produce any images, only work with existing ones and caption, comment upon them or talk over them in an effort to recycle in the sense of giving them a new cycle, a new meaning, and hence reclaim the meaning of these images as critical images. So after this experience in, um, in Sciences Po, uh, Anna and I formed the Collective Coyotes uh, with three other members of the school, coming from different backgrounds and having different practices. Uh, I can name them, it's uh, Elida Hug, Nuna Dallus, and Clément Seurat, to continue and expand this research of, on languages and representations by developing a lexicon based on ideograms and pictograms. So, without offering univocal schemes, but on the contrary, by offering a monstrous, octonian, to use a term cherished by philosopher Donna Haraway, ambiguous, strange, humorous suggestion for a cohabitation that is not simple at all, a cohabitation that resists the global or any pre-established scales used by Western modernity. And the figure of the coyotes, uh, as opposed to the gaze of the white Western male artist Joseph Beuys, has been a key model for us to rethink our approach to the artistic practice in a perspectivist way, as developed by uh, anthropologist uh, Eduardo Viveiros de Castro. So, little by little, with the help of anthropologists, my works have been focused on the question of the becoming, rather than than on the question of uh, the production. Ecology has become a topic uh, in the course of my work, but also a format in my practice. That is to say that it seems to me too much of a paradox to develop a discourse on ecology by using means of production. (coughs) There's a fatal equation unsolved in my work which is how to produce forms and contents without producing anything. But is it possible to create to create without harming? Maybe the response is situated in worlding, creating uh, kinships uh, within the frame of collaboration and in the course of conversations. Uh, maybe it's, yes, it's the, the most fertile way to make our soul and our consciousness, our awareness grow in a more and more devastated world. Wow. That was a long answer. (laughs) No, I
0: understand that um, you're um, experimenting with different forms of and languages. Actually, language is a form of representation per se. And by invading and mixing these different uh, languages, you are trying to find other languages to represent the problem. Let's say. Um so let's let's talk a bit about the school of infinite rehearsals and how you um you came to that. I know that your practice and you just mentioned that it's very much rooted in collaborations and conversations with others. And uh in these dear times you are all living in, the urgency of intersectionality and inclusivity that collective practice put forth is an undeniable fact. However, I'd still like to ask you what prompted you to apply for the School of Infinite Rehearsals and what kind of new languages did you hope for or actually saw emerging from this uh, six-week collective research programme?
1: So undeniably collaborations and conversations, collective practices in general, uh, are the very medium to create a new speak, to implement uh, intersectionality and inclusivity. Um, I remember this, uh, this, this phrase from 1976 by feminist philosopher Lucie Rigare, uh if we continue to speak the same language to each other, we will reproduce the same story. Uh, in this working group, in the, in the working group of um, the School of Infinite uh, Real Souls, I once again experienced the necessity for the practices to be mixed and crossbred, if you allow me to use a botanic term. I may be from a certain background, visual arts and uh, philosophy. I may speak a certain vocabulary, but being in contact with another realm, uh, another language, another constellation of references helps to expand the, compre- the, the comprehension of the world. And for example, Lito Scopeliti, who is a trained facilitator in affective listening, nonviolent communication, and people assemblies, offered to our group an incredible set of tools to exchange ideas and make decisions collectively. Her presence really improved my way of being with and to others. And uh, this ephemeral collaboration with her had a strong effect on me. Um, in my application one year ago, I had written that there are no native spe- species, but at the same time, there are only native spe- species, <laughs> as we, the plants, can grow everywhere. I meant that I may be from somewhere, But a new context can transport me somewhere else. Is it resilience or transformation? I believe more into transformation than into resilience, because I'm not afraid of uh, questioning all my prejudices, of starting everything from scratch and of entering a process of transformation.
0: I think this also ties very much to the idea behind the School of Infinite Rehearsals and how we can constantly become together and experiment and uh, be comfort- comfortable to live in uncertainty. And um, talking about the ecology crisis, which is a, a phenomenon that disrupts us all, um, in your group, you collectively decided to focus your research specifically on water. And in many instances, you also adopted the metaphor Of water bodies to refer to each other. Uh, Water is so fluid and borderless that um, I think serves as a great metaphor of how one's individual practice merges with a collective one. And I would be interested to know what water quality resonates with you the most?
1: So, as a very heterogeneous group of practitioners from diverse backgrounds, we needed to find a common fieldwork that could be at the intersection of our individual interests and research. I have always been drawn to the notion of commons in itself, and particularly the loss of commons. Water management is one of the hottest collective issues of our times. But at the same time, it's a daily and individual problem as well. Uh, I remember an interview of writer Anaïs Nin in the 60s or 70s, really at the end of her life, in which she recollects of uh, her encounter with Marcel Duchamp and says that she, along with him, prefers to focus on small things because big things are like precipices. And that could be, for me, an interesting definition of ecology. If some major problems must be addressed or articulated, on a molecular level, our actions should focus on immediate daily issues with which we can have an immediate physical and mental relationship. Water is around us, but it's also in us. It appeared to us like an incredible field to explore on many levels, from macro to micro, from a political level to an intimate one, through sciences, lifestyle, etc. And so, our collective research co- collapsed around water bodies of water, watery systems, qualities, and sparked by researcher on environmental humani- humanities, um, Astrida Nemanis, an amazing book, Bodies of Water. We were also inspired by Lynn Margulis, the the work of Lynn Margulis on symbiotics. So our research group identified watery ecologies as a medium, a model, a guide for finding ways in which individual practices can come together into collective format. So within this framework, my personal interest focused more precisely on borders, non-borders, and infiltration. I also, because it's all, again, it's really like uh, into my, like part of my interest, uh, use the stream of consciousness as a format and the reflecting milieu of the lake as a reflecting back, backdrop. And on this topic, I will read you like a little uh, quote of Marcel Proust. In search of lost time that refers to the lake as a metaphor for what is not yet, because it was not conceptualized at the time, uh, the Freudian uh, unconscious. So let me read this quote. So Marcel, Marcel Proust is uh, right, is uh, speaking. <laughs> I saw a perfect example of that portentous language. So unlike the language we habitually speak, in which emotion deflects what we had intended to say and causes to emerge in its place an entirely different phrase issued from an unknown lake wherein dwell these expressions alien to our thoughts which by virtue of that very fact reveal them. So I was really particularly thrilled when we collectively decided to go to Prespa to experience a lake form body of water and uh, all its related components.
0: And I actually heard that you had a very sensual and affective experience what in did Prespa. You, hear? <laughs> <laughs> you tasted the water. And uh, I would like to know how does the Prespa water taste like?
1: Okay, yes. I dipped my hand into the lake and I tasted the water. Frankly, to be really honest, Prespa tastes very wishy-washy.
0: <laughs> what does that mean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it means like it's nothing, like there's no tastes, really. But as Grace Jones says, you know, you don't have to be sweet to be good. Our experience was beyond the taste of the lake. All jokes aside, I won't recommend anyone to follow my example. One one of our conversation partners, Stefanos Levidis, a legal researcher who is part of Forensic Architecture, and who is very familiar to this region and studied many different aspects of its ecosystem, was quite bewildered by my uh, trial. So it's not a thing to do (laughs) because of the chemicals and so on.
0: Uh, Tell us a bit more about the trip to Prespes. You departed from Athens to conduct on-site research on Prespes. What did you find there?
1: So in these times of lockdown, Police is everywhere, not only to check your passport, but your health records and your authorizations. So firstly, I felt overly privileged to be able to travel at this moment and to interact in a totally different and remote environment. Secondly, and consequently, I felt like an absolute alien to this region. We were the only transplants in the in the region, which is normally affected by, I would say, even uh, overwhelmed with tourism with, with tourism at this time of the year, uh, because we were during the Cataractiftera, the Clean Monday. So we were in direct interaction with the locals, and I put this this term in brackets for I don't really appreciate using it. So as the sole foreigners in the surroundings, we were actually very visible to us, uh, to, to, to them. And we were probably representing a disturbing presence coming from the city, even maybe bringing germs from the city. <clears throat> so far, there were no cases of COVID in the region. So yes, I felt alien. Thirdly, and finally, the question of the liquid border uh, seems absolutely striking to me there, as the Prespa lake is shared by Greece, North Macedonia, and Albania. And so this lake is one of the oldest in the world. It's like two million years old. But the borders as they are now have been established like around 100 years ago. So we realize, uh, in front of this uh, seascape or uh, le- lakescape, we realize how the history of humanity is on a total different scale than the history of Earth. By the way, Earth, <laughs> what a bad name to design uh, to to yes to to name a planet uh, that is made of eighty percent of water. Um, so yes, in front of this um, this lake, especially uh, the Megali Prespa, I, you, you can realize that borders are constructs totally produced by nations. But of course, this construct created visible socio-historical results that are like totally visible on land, and we can't be indifferent to these realities. But uh, maybe acknowledging both constructs and results would be a way to overpass the the fatalistic issue of the nation-state. And uh, to to wrap wrap it up on our collective experience, I wanted to read a poem that we worked on collectively with James Bridle,
0: Oh, wow. I'm, I'm, I haven't heard this poem
1: before. Oh, okay. So we worked on it like on the last day of our residency. So I, I hoped that none of us already read it to you. So this poem sums up the whole six weeks, including our field trip to Prespa and our transformation into bodies of water which is not a transformation per se, but in reality a rephrasing, a liquid storytelling, so to speak. So, poem. (laughs) Who we are, a group of seven bodies of water from different reservoirs and aquifers, filtered and released into an aquarium in a Mediterranean port city for a moon and a half, we floated together, navigating a notion a notion, the same everywhere and all the time. We sought a common horizon porous to one other, to one another, not a coherent mass, but an infinity of forms. What we did We took the waters and we took the waters. We talked, tasted touched, and tuned, turned into water. Water led us to Prespa, precipitating our ideas and transpiring our encounters. In the stream we encountered Medea. We basked in the sea. We drove through snow, fog, and rain. We became wet. wet. We became buoyant. The lakes were divided, but uniform, still and disturbed, blue and green and gray clear and muddy, deep and shallow, reflectors of the changing sky and everything around. Human and non-human animals drifted along with us. Flushed with fire water, we danced and sang. What we learned? We found new confluences and ways of flowing. Our thinking has become watery through absorbing and sharing thoughts and emotions. From solid to liquid, the qualities of water leaked into our movements. We learned to apprehend the place through its waters. Water taught us to understand symbiosis. Water tuned our senses in new ways. Now close your eyes and feel the multiple hands, the multiple eyes, the multiple eyes, like...
0: That's a great, great way to summarize um, your experience, I think.
1: It's very hard to to write collectively. Lots of decisions were made. I can imagine. imagine. But uh,
0: Going back to the issue of language that I introduced in the beginning, you found a common language that encapsulates your... uh, Tangible and intangible experiences together.
1: Probably. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I'm also very glad to that you mentioned all the, the context around the trip. Uh, first of all, the, the mm, privileges and the difficulties you find along the way. But also the way that you managed to handle the situation and be there together and go forward with your research focus and uh, uh, hearing from you, it's been it's been a real pleasure. Um, we are reaching the end of our discussion today, and um, and I have a last question for you. I want to know what's what's next for you.
1: So, before joining the School of uh, Infinite Rear Souls, uh, I was in residency at La with, uh, in Switzerland, uh, actually also by a lake, uh, the lake, uh, the Geneva Lake, with the collective Coyote to, and we were like in inviting, invited there to work on our anthology which will hopefully gather the sum of six years of research and browse some of our major themes, such as contamination as collaboration, fictioning is a worlding, towards a warm common. So I will keep on working on this book that that will be made of new and pre-existing texts, as well as a visual uh, iconography. Uh, I'm also part of uh, an ensemble that prepares a uh, stage direction at the Achilleon of Corfu. But the global situation is still uncertain. And uh, I guess we all should go with the, with this uncertain flow. <laughs> so I will finish maybe this, this nice interview with the, with this quote from uh, Virginia Woolf that has actually, that I re reread in the book of uh, James Bridell, the future is dark, which is the best thing the future can be.
0: Thank you, Tristan. Thank
1: you very much.
0: It's been a real pleasure talking with you. And although we used the same language today to speak, uh, I hope uh, we managed to, um, to plant some seeds for new languages to come out of this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more conversations, please subscribe to our channel. You can find more about the Onassis Air residency program and each participant at www.onassis.org. This series is produced by Onassis Air. Thanks to Nikos Koljas, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme.